Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you've been here the last several weeks, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, It's found in Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to there. Um, It should be a passage that's very familiar to you even if you haven't been here the last several weeks, because it's probably, uh, there are scholars that estimate that this is probably the most said thing in, in history of English, um, because so many churches throughout so much of history have recited the Lord's Prayer um, on Sunday mornings, and many folks recited it at other times. And uh, so we're walking our way through this prayer, and you might think, well, why would we do that? And Uh, As I was reading Eugene Peterson's memoir this week, uh, he reminded me why it's so important to do this. Um, He took, he he was with a company of pastors, uh, 16 of them, and they would get together every Tuesday for a couple hours. And they did this with a psychologist. The psychologist was actually the one that called all the pastors and got them together. And for two years, they met with this psychologist. And they got really good at diagnosing people's issues and problems and, uh, you know, dysfunctions. And, and uh, they also built a really good referral network, uh, professional doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists to refer people to. But the downside of this two years of meeting with the psychologist was that all the pastors started to see their congregants as problems rather than people. And so Eugene decided, let's continue meeting together as pastors. And this group of pastors, Eugene is, re- is retired, he lives on Montana, uh, but all these groups of pastors have uh, come and gone, and this group still meets today in the Baltimore area. And they discuss what it means to be a pastor. And Peterson, he says that the core thing that shapes pastoral ministry is prayer. And the core thing that should shape pastoral care of people is teaching them how to pray. And and that reminded me why we're doing this, why we're going through this series. Because you might think, I already got this prayer thing figured out. I've got it licked. I know how to do it. I know how to ask for stuff. Um, But we haven't even got to the ask for stuff yet. But that's what we get to do today. We finally get to the part of the prayer where Jesus says, give me. We finally get to the part of the prayer that most people, when they think of prayer, this is what they think of. We're, part, we're finally to that part of the prayer that actually is the reason why people start to get interested, start to look into prayer in the first place, because they want something. They need something. And this is the place where Jesus gets us And says, yes, prayer does change circumstances. Yes, prayer does work. But it's important to keep it in its context. It's important to see where Jesus places the gimme. It's right in the center of the Lord's Prayer. It's right in the center of the Lord's Prayer. And we have to go through the Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give me. We have to go through all of that before we get to the give me. 
So today we're going to take a look at this. It's called petition, uh, petitionary prayer. Now, it's interesting because um, one of the views that people have, and I'm privy to people's views on prayer sometimes because they come to me or they text me or they Facebook me or they ask me a question and they say, I'm praying, I'm trusting, I'm believing, I'm gathering other people around. And it says in the Bible that if I will have enough faith, God will give me. It says that if I ask for anything in his name, he will give it to me. And pastor, I've been praying a long time and I ain't getting. That's a contradiction, isn't it? That's something that isn't Right, and, and what I'm finding, and I want to contrast a couple of different views of God today as we look at petitionary prayer and try to keep it in the context of the prayer that Jesus gave us, because we need to remember that he said what? Well, let's look at Matthew 6, 9 through 15, and remind ourselves of what Jesus said. He says this, this then is how you should pray. That's God himself telling you how to talk to him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. Jesus starts out by saying, this then is how you you should pray. It's a template. It's a model. And there's two views of God that we can have. One is the view that Jesus had, our Father. And we're going to look at that in more detail in a second. The other one is what I would like to call the genie in the lamp. The genie in the lamp view of God. Did you ever wonder the origin of the genie in the lamp? Where this came from? It's very fascinating. When you trace it back, this idea actually came about in the 18th century by a French writer, but it actually has more sinister uh, origins earlier than that. Islam teaches that there are demons that are in the world, and Islam's word for it is jinn, J-I-N-N. And they believe that there are demons, they believe that there are different hierarchies in the unseen realm of demonic activity. And the demons were created by Allah. The demons were created by Allah. They were created, we're not sure, the Quran does not tell us, but the, they were created uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years before humanity was created, before Adam was created. And they believe that the, the demons were created as uh, spirit beings, but they also had some characteristics of people. They, they had a physicality to them. They were, they were created by a scorching wind. And the demons, they organized themselves. They created a society. They had kings. They had leaders. Uh, they were around for a really long time before humanity began. And what happened was the demons made Allah mad. 
The jinn made Allah mad, and so he disciplined them, put a curse on some of them. And one of the teachings in Islam is that jinn can be good, they can be bad, or they can be neutral. And so when you encounter these beings, you're not ever sure if they are good or bad or neutral. And there's different uh, levels of them. And the most powerful ones were bound by Allah in jars. They were bound in jars in lamps, if you will. Well, there was a Frenchman, and uh, he had a copy of the Arabian Nights with him. He had this book, and it had never been translated before into a European language in the 18th century. And so he started working on a copy of this. His name was Antoine Galland. And Galland, he worked on translating this into our language, into well, first into French, and then it got translated into English. And what are the most famous tales from the Arabian Nights stories. Anybody remember the, the most famous tales? If you're a parent and you've ever watched this particular Disney movie, that's one of the most famous Arabian Night tales. Anybody know the, the name? Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin. And there's another famous one. Uh, Ali Baba and the 40 Thieves. The interesting thing is, these were actually written by Galland. They were written by an 18th century Frenchman and passed off as part of these ancient tales from Arabia. He's the one that gave us Aladdin. He's the one that gave us a genie in a bottle. He's the one that came up with these notions. He took this kind of sinister story from Islam and made it into a genie. Now, it's interesting because if you've ever looked at genie lore or seen any of this stuff, genies tend to want to trick the person uh, who gets to rub the lamp and gets the wishes, right? Uh, First of all, what are the rules concerning genies? Well, you only get three wishes. Isn't anybody else irritated that there are rules with genies? I mean, that's just a weird one. You only get three wishes. And of course, everybody's always trying to figure out, well, my first wish is infinite wishes, right? And that's apparently against the rules because Robin Williams told us in the Disney movie, Aladdin. And there's all these rules and stipulations, but three wishes... And I want to suggest to you that many people, many Christians, many people who read and study the Bible, who love Jesus Christ, they have a genie-in-the-bottle view of God. They have an idea that if I rub right, if I can just get God to do what I ask. In fact, when you read the Scriptures, even the, the New Testament, and you see that God wants to bless us. He knows what we need even before we ask. You read all these things and you're like, wow, God really wants to give me, give me, give me. And you are not wrong in seeing that in Scripture. It's there. God wants to give you, bless you, 
prosper you, help you, deliver you, save you. He wants to do that. He is, the picture I I read about this is he's like a father and the kid. Well, do you remember that story that Jesus told the prodigal son? The prodigal son finally figures out after he's feeding the hogs, boy, I've made a mess of my life. And he decides to return to the father. And what does the father do when he sees the son a long way off? He runs to him. He runs to him. He runs to this son. And the picture that I was reading this past week was that he's running to the son and it's like he has presence behind him that he wants to give the son. In the story, he gives him a signet ring. He gives him uh, the robe, and these all signify his place and position in the family. He throws a, a party. We threw a party last night for our oldest son. Uh, we didn't have a calf, but we had hamburger, which comes from them. But we didn't have to slaughter them or anything. We just went to the store and bought it, right? I mean, we had a party. We had fun. We had eating. Uh, we had music. We even had some dancing, thanks to Bailey. This father throws an extravagant party for his son who returns, and he brings him gifts. And the picture, the word picture that you can think of with God is he comes running up to you, and he's excited. He wants to see you, and he's got gifts. It's kind of like, you know, have you ever returned from a trip, and you want to give your kid a present from your trip? And you say, all right, you're going to ask for the presents? We want our kids to ask, don't we? We don't want to just show up and go, here. We want, to, we want them to ask, did you give me something? Did you get me something? And we want them to ask. And I, in James, it says God wants us to ask. In fact, the way he says it is, you do not have because you do not ask. Imagine that picture. The father is excited to see his kid. He's got gifts behind him, and the kid never asks. Is the father going to give him the stuff? You see, that's the picture that the scriptures give us, that God wants to bless us. God wants to give to us all these wonderful things, but we, we need to ask. So you're not wrong to see that in there, but what we're wrong to do is to take this asking, the gimme, out of context. What do I mean by that? Well, I think this prayer informs us of how we need to have our asking informed. And the first thing I I see is that we need to come to God with a certain confidence. We need to approach Him in confidence, knowing His power. Do you remember how the prayer begins? Our Father... But where's this father? Where is he? Who art in heaven. By the way, art's not his name, right? Our father, who's in heaven. He's in heaven. And James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights in the heavenlies above. And God is our heavenly Father, how long have you ever hovered someplace? Anybody ever hovered, levitated, been in the heavens very long? The longest I ever have been was on Southwest flights, right? They helped me hover in a chair at, you know, 30,000 feet. 
And they even bring me a snack and a Coke. And I'm hovering in the air. Now, I paid good money to get to hover in the air. And I'm a little uncomfortable because my legs are a bit long. And I have to sit there shoulder to shoulder with other. I'd like to hover in different ways. But the problem with my hovering is I'm not very good at hovering. I'm not very powerful at hovering. I used to be able to jump a little higher, a little longer than I can now. Our Father is where? In heaven. How does he do that? He must be powerful. He must have abilities, knowledge, insight that we don't have. He's in another realm. He's in the spiritual, unseen realm. He has abilities, knowledge, insight you and I don't have. He's powerful. And we have to come to him and be confident that we are coming to our powerful heavenly father, that he can actually do something about our need. Not only can he actually do something, he wants to do something about our needs. You know, the other thing is we need to get a perspective. And that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks. We need to get a perspective on who it is we're talking to. How does it begin? Our, this is the interactive part because some of you look like you're bored. Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have to get a perspective on his glory. We come to him and we recognize that he is hallowed, he is glorious, he is all-powerful. We have to get a perspective on who it is we're talking to. Now, if you rub a lamp and a blue guy comes out and he says, hey, you freed me from the bottle. Now you have three wishes. Aren't we going to be thinking, wow, this guy's pretty powerful. Uh, This guy has granted me three wishes. And I can ask for whatever I want. It's going to change our perspective, isn't it? Because all of a sudden, things that we thought were impossible seem possible because we rubbed a lamp and a little blue guy came out. God is far greater and far better than a genie. We need to have the right perspective. But we also need to have our perspective healed. You see, if you struggle with worry, you need to ask yourself, and you need to do this in prayer, why do I struggle with worry? What is it that I'm so worried about? Because when we struggle with worry, in many respects, we are seeing those issues, those things, those concerns as bigger than God. We are seeing those things. They've got a hold of us. They've got a a thing inside of us. The word that the Old Testament uses over and over and over again for this, and we've talked about this the last several weeks, is idolatry. Anything that we see bigger, greater, better, more important to us than God is an idol. You and I, our hearts, are idol factories. We churn them out 24-7. Anything that you think, you know what? If I don't have this, my life's ruined. If this doesn't happen, then my life's horrible. If this doesn't happen, then I don't know how I'm going to move on, how I'm going to press on, how I'm going to survive. If anything that you have in your life, you tack that kind of importance to, you could very well have an idol. 
The only thing that you need, the only thing that you need to survive is Christ. The trouble is, even the preacher doesn't believe that. None of us believe that. At the end of the day, when push comes to shove, for most of us, it is far worse knowledge to find out that we're broke, that the bank has closed up, that we lost all of our assets, that our house burned down, that our kids are ill and dying. It is far worse information to learn any of that than to find out that there is no God. At the end of the day, because so many of us spend our lives living as practical atheists, And this prayer is teaching us that the problems that you have are not the circumstances, not the stuff on the outside. The problems you have are the inside. And Jesus wants to heal our perspective. He wants to help us see that at the core of who we are, we are idolaters, that it would be far better news if God was a genie than our father. What do I mean by that? Well, the next part is we have to, we have to get humble. <laughs> we have to get humble when we approach God. How does Jesus say we need to approach God? As our Father. Who, repro- who, who, approaches, who approaches a man as a father? A son, right? A daughter. We have to humble ourselves. We have to recognize that we are children. Quick thought experience for you, experiment for all of us. When is it a good time for a child to find a genie in a lamp? How old? Like, do you think Jamie Prentice should be able to find a genie in the lamp? Would that be a good thing? His older sister is shaking her head, no. (laughs) The Jamie Prentice should not find a genie in the lamp bottle. Probably because he'd be like, I don't want a sister. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Okay? (laughs) So we know that he's too young. How about Heidi? Do you think Heidi is is old enough that she should be trusted with the genie in the bottle? Her grandfather is shaking his head, no. (laughs) now would it be good if her grandfather found a genie in the bottle i'm pretty sure his wife's gonna say no i mean you know i could go on and on and on none of us think it's good for a 10 year old to have a genie in the bottle none of us think it's good for a 15 year old to find a genie in the bottle but my goodness when we get into our mid-20s we're probably pretty ready for it right trouble is Ten years later, when we're 35, we look back at our 25-year-old self and we go, I was an idiot. And we think, 35-year-old, that's probably when I'm good enough to have a genie in the bottle. Trouble is, our 45-year-old self looks back at our 35-year-old self and it goes, "Ah, I was an idiot. When does that stop? Looking back at yourself going, 10 years ago, I was an idiot. The Bible says... It never stops. The Bible says you're always a fool. 
At some level in your life, you're foolish. You're making decisions and choices that are destroying you and destroying others, destroying the shalom in the world. It's called sin. None of us are ever wise enough to be trusted with a genie in the bottle. And this is the key to prayer. This is the key to petitionary prayer. This is the key where Jesus says, this is how you approach God, our Father. We have to humble ourselves and come to him with the right perspective. I happen to be a father, and uh, my kids sometimes make requests that aren't the best requests for them to make. Has any parent ever experienced this? That your kid makes requests that you're like, you know, like sometimes kids get bored. And let's say my son said, dad, I'm bored. Let's throw knives at each other. That'd be exciting. He's got a point. That'd be exciting. Okay, Dave. Because we gave him throwing knives one year for his birthday. And so far, nobody's been injured. And so far, he has never come to me and said, dad, let's throw knives at each other. But let's say Dave came to me and said, Dad, let's throw knives at each other. What does a father say in response to that? (laughs) Depends on the dad, right? But for me, I'm going to say no. Because I've seen Dave's aim, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get hit. I would say no. Now, a good parent is going to look at the request, and he's going to try to figure out what's underneath the request. What's underlining the request? Why this request to throw knives at me now? And a good father is going to say, you're bored. Go move some rocks or, you know, something like that. You're bored. Here's another activity we can do. You're bored. Here's something else that we can do together. Now, our heavenly father, when he hears our requests, when we make them known to him, which we must, We should. Everything that you have going on in your life, every concern, every issue, you are told, bring them to your heavenly father. Peter, in his writings, he says, you should come to God with everything. You should dump the truck on God of your worries, of your cares, and of your anxieties. His word for it is, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. We're commanded. It's a command. We're told to cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. But my guess is, if you're like me, some of those cares aren't the best thing for you. Some of those things you want aren't the best thing for you. And your heavenly father, in his wisdom, knows it. He knows that sometimes your cares, your concerns are like you saying, hey, I'm bored, let's throw knives at each other. He knows that sometimes, yeah, that's not very helpful. What you're praying for, what you're asking me for, thanks for coming and talking to me about this rather than just whizzing a knife at me. I mean, thank you for chatting with me. That's important. You're building a relationship with me. But that's not what you need. You see, God knows what we need even before we ask, we're told in the Scriptures. God knows what we need even before we ask. And sometimes that makes me wonder why, makes me wrestle. Should I then even bother him if he knows what I need? 
The answer is yes. I'm supposed to talk to him about these things. Why? The reason is because he's busy trying to straighten me out. He's trying to give me perspective. He's trying to make sure that I know he's powerful. He's trying to make sure to humble me that he's my father, that he has the best for me. There's a really interesting passage of scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. And I forgot to put it in the slides. And those of you who brought your Bible, you'll be rewarded. You get a flip over to another, another passage. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. And it's a very interesting uh, comment that this, the writer of Hebrews makes. Listen to this. This is probably a verse you haven't encountered. And if you have, you just kind of glazed over and moved on because um, Hebrews is hard to understand. But he says this. During the days of Jesus, this is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Did you hear how Jesus prayed? With loud cries and tears. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever prayed to God in loud cries and tears? Your heavenly father, his son, prayed that way. And what was he praying about? What were his loud cries and his tears about? The writer tells us it's about his death. Remember in Gethsemane? Jesus was praying. It was with loud cries and tears and sweat that was like blood. He was in agony and he was asking God, is there another way to save? Is the only way to save my death? Is that the only way? And most of us, when we hear this next part of this verse, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. We go, uh-uh, he was not heard. <laughs> he wasn't heard because he was crucified. But here are the scriptures, the Bible. Some of you need to circle, highlight, underline this passage. The scriptures tell us Jesus was heard and the Father answered. Why? Because of his reverent submission. You see, being a good, perfect, all-powerful father means that sometimes, not sometimes, it means that you always have a resurrection to pull out. You see, sometimes when my kids ask me for something, the answer is no, you need to die to that desire. But if you die to that desire, I'll give you something far greater than what you desired. And I think that's what prayer, what wrestling with God in prayer is about, is we come to him with our desires, our cares, our anxieties, our worries, our concerns, our fears. And in the process, he says, you got to die to that stuff. You got to die to that stuff. And if you do, I'll give you something greater. There will be a resurrection for you. You see, in a very real way, God is always answering our prayers always answering our prayers. We just don't always like the answer. 
You ever thought that a lot of the answers to your prayers could be no's? It's why that I haven't found that winning lotto ticket. Well, and notice how I said found, because I, I don't go out and buy lotto tickets. So for me, I have to find the lotto ticket, right? But so far, I haven't even found the lotto ticket. I mean, I pray for that. Apparently, God thinks, yeah, you don't need to be wealthy. That's not going to be helpful to you. And I keep arguing back. I say, you know what? I'd really like to demonstrate that you're wrong. (laughs) Right off the top, I'll give 10% away. You know what? I'm feeling generous today, God. I'll give 20% away, especially if it's a big winnings, you know? I mean, I'm not like talking 20 bucks, God. I'm talking like the, the 20 million kind of prize. I'd be happy. You know what, God? I'm feeling really generous today. I'll give 30% away. That's how good. I mean, I barter. I have these. Do you ever have these discussions with God about lotto tickets? Nobody else? It's just me? Do you ever have discussions with God about things that you really want, that you want him to fix for you, that you want him to take care of, that you want him riding in as the rescuer? If you have those discussions with him, and you keep coming back over and over and over and over and over again, which is a good thing, not trying to discourage you to do that. But if he keeps not answering, the answer could be, you need to die to this. Because I've got something better. Then get what the, the, the discussion become. God, please help me die to the desire to find a lotto ticket and give you 30% of the winnings. Right? Or whatever. You see, our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we need. A, g- a good way of putting this is that petitionary prayer only works on father child terms. It only works on father child terms. It doesn't work on the genie in a lamp model. God's not your genie, God's not here to just give you whatever you want. He's your father who loves you, cares for you, is all-powerful. The last thing. Did you notice what Jesus says that you should ask for? Give us today our daily bread. You see, one of the things that he wants to teach us is that we are dependent upon him for everything. We are dependent upon him for everything. And you might think, no, no. I, I got a good job. I, I make good money. I'll go down and I buy my bread. I don't have to pray for that. You see, the purpose of petitionary prayer, the purpose of the Lord's Prayer, is to constantly remind you that He's God and you ain't. That God is God and you are not. That He has your best interest at heart And he wants you. Did you hear that? He wants you. And he wants you to want him. At the beginning of the service, we sang that song, Open Up the Skies. And it says, we don't want blessings. We want you. And that can be a hard thing to say. And that's why they put it to music. Because that kind of lulls you to sleep and you just, we don't want blessing, we want you, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, wait, what did I just say? 
You tricked me, preacher. I want blessings. Don't you? And by the way, you have a father that wants to bless you. What was his blessing to Christ, his son, Jesus? I'm going to make you savior of the world, Jesus. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah, God. I mean, you know, pretend like Jesus was like clueless like us, right? And didn't quite get the whole picture. I'm going to make you savior of the world. Man, that sounds awesome. How are we going to do that? Well, you're going to be crucified. Uh, What's crucifixion? I think I've seen pictures of that. I don't want that. Well, three days later, you're going to pull off Easter's. Yeah, but it's going to hurt getting to Easter, don't you think? You see, many times, that's how God works. Our faith is shaped by the cross. Why would it be any different for you and me? There's this funny YouTube video with this, we'll close. Is made by Lutherans, which I really appreciate Lutherans. This one's hysterical. And what they did was they took, they put uh, teachings from name it, claim it, health, wealth, uh, word of faith teachers, and they put the, their, their teachings from books and other things into the mouths of Christian martyrs through history. And it's a funny video because it's when you see a martyr saying, God loves me and has wonderful plans for my life, you know? And then their head's being cut off. It's like, I know God loves you. I know he has a wonderful plan for your life. But right at that moment, it doesn't look that way. And, they, they, and that's, that's not really a huge heresy. They take other heresies that the word of faith and the name it, claim it people use, and they put them in their mouth. And isn't that how most of us want God to be? We want the genie in the bottle. We don't want the martyrdom. <laughs> well, let me encourage you. As you pray, as you come to Christ in the, in the days and months and years ahead, asking for your daily bread, that you would remember that He's powerful, that He can do all things, but that you would remember He's your Father, that he wants to bless you as a child. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love for us. And we ask, Lord, that you you would continue to shape our perspective on you. Thank you for this powerful prayer from Jesus. And Lord, help us to be slow in getting to the gimme. Help us to slow down. Help us to remember who it is we're speaking to and what you want for us. Holy Spirit, make it so. Help us to remember that we are God's kids, that he is our father, and we are his children. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may you know that God wants you. Amen.